0: and welcome to the 70th episode of the IT Career Energizer podcast, where I chat with inspiring IT professionals, consultants, and experts every week. If you want to find out more about the podcast, visit itcareerenergizer.com. My guest on today's show is Dylan Beattie. Dylan is a software architect, conference speaker, and musician. He designs APIs and distributed systems based on Microsoft.net and he also helps to run the London.net user group. So Dylan, can I ask you to expand on that brief bio and tell us a little bit more about yourself?
1: So yes, my name is Dylan Beattie. I am a uh, software architect, uh, system designer. I used to be a webmaster once upon a time, if if you remember those way back in the the early days of the World Wide Web. I'm basically one of those people who sort of uh, stumbled into IT because it was fun and then discovered that it was also quite lucrative, went and did a computer science degree at, at university, So I graduated from University of Southampton, two thousand. Started building websites because that's what everyone was was doing around that time. You know, the age of the first the dot com bubble, the dot com boom. And since then, you know, I sort of I think a fairly standard career path. I got to a point where one of the clients I was working with headhunted me to come and, and run their systems for them. That got so big, we hired a second person, and then a third, and a fourth, and a fifth, and that sort of team grew, and then. Maybe a year ago now, middle of last year, I sort of, you know, got the sense it was time to, to hand over that particular project to somebody else and um, was speaking with, I know quite a lot of people in and around the sort of software community. And, and one of the companies I've done lots of stuff with over the years is a company called Scores Matter who are a you know conference and, and training organizer. And I, I approached them initially with a view to maybe, you know, doing some training and workshops for them. And it turned out that they were looking for people to come on and, and join their senior management team and, and help them with some growth stuff they had going on. So now I'm I'm CTO at Skills Matter. Wow. How long have you been doing that? So I was doing one day a week with them in uh, November last year. Uh And then at the end of January, I went up to three days a week. And then I've been full-time now for about two and a half months.
0: So, Dylan, can you maybe share a unique career tip with the IT Career Energizer audience, one they possibly don't know and should?
1: I don't know whether it's a career tip per se, but one of the interesting things that i've occasionally come across in my career is software developers think the solution to every problem has to be software and there's a a story maybe i don't know 10 years ago uh, one of the sort of senior business people came to me and went we need a, a secure online digital storage system and i was like what for and they're like we've got these negotiation documents and employment contracts and things and we need to keep them safe and secure and, you know, make sure that nobody, not even the systems administrators can have access to them. And we sort of thought about it. And I went back and I said, you have a safe in your office. And they went, what? And I'm like, how many documents are we talking here? They're like maybe 30 or 40 pages total. Yes. And I said to them, print it out, put it in the safe. If the building gets destroyed, insurance companies have a procedure for dealing with all the papers in the safe have been wiped out. There's precedent for that. You have the keys. You're not gonna lose the keys. You're not gonna forget the keys. You don't worry who else might have the keys. You know, the solution to this problem is not technical. It's analog, you know, it's lock them in the safe and get on with our lives. And, you know, there was quite a lot of, you're not supposed to say that. You're a software developer. You know, you're, you're our systems architect. And I was like, well, what we're trying to do here is actually solve a problem. And the problem has been described to us. And nowhere does it actually say that we need to be able to email this stuff around or share it with a, you know, Dropbox link or something. The problem is just we need to keep this stuff safe and be able to refer back to it in a year or two's time. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's, uh, like I said, not necessarily a career tip, but it's something that I still it surprises me how many people are surprised by that kind of approach to problem solving.
0: Yeah. So almost trying to provide a solution and trying to find a problem that will fit the solution. Yeah. Yes.
1: (laughs) You know, trying to find an excuse to do something cool with hardware. Like, Oh, we can build our own encryption system locker and use a, you know, rotating cipher to make sure that the, and it's like, no, just lock it in a safe. Come on. You know, We've got hard problems to solve that actually matter. This is not one of them.
0: Indeed, yes. Um, so maybe, can you take us to your the story of your worst IT career moment and what you learned from that experience?
1: In terms of my personal career, the worst things that have happened have not been moments, necessarily. They've been periods where you know I was probably burning out. I was working too hard on things that didn't really grab me, and like it's not not necessarily a moment, but it's quite difficult to recognize that in yourself because a lot of, you know, IT people, IT is this wonderful thing where you on a good day, it's like, I love doing this. The technology is fascinating. The problem is interesting. I care about the people who are, you know, invested in this. And it's very easy to start thinking if I work really hard this week, I can, I can get this done. And then you don't. And you're like, all right, well, I'll, I'll put in a couple of hours over the weekend. And then you come back the next week and One of the most interesting things that I I constantly find in IT is it's really hard to maintain a balance between what I call the vision and the roadmap. And, you know, the vision is the picture postcard. It's the tropical beach with the palm trees and, you know, the the little drinks with the pieces of pineapple and stuff in them. But the roadmap is you go down the M25, you go to Heathrow Terminal 4, you stand in a queue, you know, it's all the details that, you need to get there. And, you know, the vision is absolutely essential because that's what inspires people. But it can be really, really hard to, to to stretch the analogy a little bit. You get in the car and you're like, we've been on the road for an hour. Why aren't we at the beach yet? Yes. And you're like, well, no, 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 no. The, the, the road takes us to the airport and the airport takes us to another airport and that takes us to another road. And then there's a bus. And at the end of the bus, there's a boat. And at the end of the boat, there's a beach. And a lot of organizations, they're just kind of, they have step one and they have the vision. Early on in my career, I, I, you know, I worked with some very inspirational people in in show business and all kinds of fields, and they'd have these brilliant ideas, and you sort of, you know, in your your head, you'd think you could see all the steps to get you from here to there, and so you wouldn't set any deliverables, you wouldn't set any milestones, you'd just be like, yes, we can do that, and then when it starts to come a little bit unstick, it was, you know, I, I had a, a couple of periods where. I got to a point where I'm like, look, this is, it's not going to work and I have nothing left. I can't keep plugging away. I don't know where we're going to go from here. I can't actually see a route from here to a successful delivery on this. And, you know, that's, that's a very, very difficult thing to sort of admit about yourself, particularly the first time that it happens to you, you know? So yeah, my, my worst career moment probably wasn't a moment. It was probably about a, you know, three or six month period in, 2007, and maybe another one in about 2012. But those are the things that I, I look back on, you know, I, I can't think of a, a moment that was, you know, maybe like a crisis or an emergency, that I look back on, you know, I've been lucky enough that when those have happened, I've had a supportive team around me, I've had stakeholders who understood what we were doing. And we just, you know, sort of pulled together and, and worked the problem on those.
0: Great. Okay. Can you maybe take us to your career highlight or greatest success and tell us about that?
1: it's remarkable through you know working in IT uh, a couple of years ago actually probably 10 years ago i started going along to user groups and community events uh, initially just to listen you know i was i was having some problems i was struggling a little bit with some asp.net stuff and uh, you know somebody suggested that going along and, and talking at a user or asking questions at a user group might help and i started doing that then i started doing talks and then i started you know doing conferences internationally and through that some of the experiences and things that you know the highlights of that have just been phenomenal i did a, a opening keynote at ndc in oslo last year in front of i don't know maybe 1200 people you know in this big the main uh, concert arena in in oslo in norway which was just fantastic you know you walk out and there's 1200 people and it just it's one of those things where it worked perfectly everything worked just like it was supposed to work and that was such a great it's so much work to put together but it really kind of, you know, paid off. And then, you know, there's some weird things. We did a, a, a whole group of us went out to Ukraine to speak at a conference in Kiev a few years ago. Um, and we had a day off, so we organized an excursion to go to Chernobyl, the, the nuclear oh, yes. reactor site yeah. in Pripyat. And I just remember us kind of standing around in this derelict, uh, that famous fairground, the, the, the fairground with the Ferris wheel and everything, yep. and just thinking... I got here because I started writing web pages and then started talking about it, and now we're here inside the Chernobyl exclusion zone in the former Soviet Union. This is is completely unexpected.
0: That must have been quite an eerie experience.
1: It was very, very memorable. It was, you know, very strange and very moving. And I don't know—is it a career highlight? It's maybe I'd have got there anyway. You know, maybe that's an opportunity I've, I'd have had by different means. But you know the. I, I enjoy what I do, and I enjoy the people I work with, and I enjoy a lot of the challenges tech throws at us. But, you know, if you're if you're fortunate, those things are kind of business as usual. You know, you get to spend a, a good chunk of your career doing interesting projects with good people and, and fun technology. And so the highlights are the things which are unexpected.
0: So, Dylan, what, what excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT in particular?
1: So there's a lot of things that have happened over the last, uh, I'm trying to place it probably the last 10, 15 years. Um, the thing I think that, that transformed the way software interacts with the world around it was smartphones, the original first, the iPhone, and then, you know, Android phones and that whole ecosystem stabilizing because it used to be, you know, I remember the, the Microsoft's mantra in the eighties and early nineties used to be a computer on every desktop. You know, they, they weren't even thinking that nobody was going to care about desktops anymore because the computer would literally be a thing in their pocket that had started out as a telephone and evolved superpowers. But, you know, along with that came a whole kind of paradigm shift in the way that we think about user experience design. Uh, you know, computers used to be for playing games or doing something creative. And, and the output of that creative process would almost invariably be a printout You know, whatever you did, if you were writing, you know, doing calculation sheets or doing, uh, you know, CAD and designs and drawings or, uh, you know, writing essays and stuff, you'd have to print it to share it with somebody. And, you know, the the sort of feedback and the conversation that they had with it would be face to face afterwards. You'd give someone a printout, they'd look at it and they'd come and they'd chat to you about it. And, you know, there were were the pioneers. There was things like Usenet and there were the early online communities like uh, anyone old enough to remember CompuServe. That was one of them. But, you know, it's suddenly got to a point, you know, I I have the Facebook app on my phone, and the Twitter app, and the LinkedIn app, and all these other apps. And really, all they do is they show you what other people are saying. You know, they're not tools that can be used to create anything. But just that simple problem affords so many different kinds of communities and interactions and, uh, you know, keeping up with family and sharing jokes and making people laugh. And we've I think only really scratched the surface. There's a a lot of stuff now going on in the world, which I think are sort of the the growing pain, certainly around um, politics. And, you know, you look at the news coverage now of things like Cambridge Analytica and and the controversy around rigging elections and things. Uh, We are only just really waking up to how powerful it is being able to beam high-definition images straight into somebody's home, into their pocket, you know, this kind of stuff and i think there's going to be some maybe some fairly substantial missteps along the way we're going to learn some very painful lessons as a society but i still think the potential is is absolutely vast and it opens up all kinds of avenues for people who maybe never would have dreamed that there was a career for them in you know, what we used to call information technology, Uh, you know, there's animators, there's copywriters, there's user experience design, there's all sorts of software products are now going, we need help with this. And we're not going to find it in somebody who did computers at university, because they never taught us how to think about these kinds of problems. And, you know, that, I think, is is really exciting. And once in a while, you see things. Uh, there was a, a, a Microsoft inclusive design toolkit that they produced a little while ago, which just it blew my mind with the way it encouraged you to think about things. Because, you know, it had these conventions around making applications more accessible to people. And for every single one of them, it kind of categorized them into, so I, I remember there was one example, which was, was hearing loss. And it's like, you know, there's, there's people who are they have permanent hearing loss for whatever reason. But then there's people who have temporary hearing loss, and then there's you know, someone working in a noisy bar and suddenly you thought, well, actually, if you can make an app that works for somebody who's who's deaf or hearing impaired, of course, that's going to be useful for a bartender who can't hear themselves think because there's a DJ playing 15 feet away. And, you know, the, the example, you've got somebody who, who only has one arm, but then you've got someone whose arm is in a sling. And then you've got someone who, you know, they're holding a baby or they're carrying shopping or something. And it sort of provoked this, this re-examination of a lot of the ideas I'd had around not accessibility but inclusivity is is what they're calling it and suddenly thinking there's people out there who have been solving these kinds of problems for years and years and years and software developers aren't talking to them you know, we, we think we can solve anything by making the fonts bigger and, and putting alt text on our images, that kind of thing. And that's another area where I feel like we've only scratched the surface. And then you get into, you know, the real game changers, uh, conversational interfaces, the uh, Google IO thing that they, they demoed recently, where the phone, that the Android phone makes a telephone call to a hair salon and it books an appointment. And you just think, you know, the how long before the, the phone making the appointment is a machine, but also the answering service that's booking the appointment is also a machine? And how long after that is someone going to go, hang on, we solved this with modems. They don't really need to speak English to each other anymore. And then, you know, there's the stuff like, like quantum computing, which is, you read some of the literature around that, and you're like, even the, the most daring things we can think to dream at the moment could be completely turned on their head within the next 10 years. And who knows where that kind of stuff is going to lead.
0: Um, We're going to move into the reveal round now. Are you ready for this? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So what first attracted you to a career in IT? I sort of, I guess, woke up one
1: day and realized I could get paid for it. You know, I I had a home computers and uh, we had an Amstrad 6128 with a three-inch floppy disk drive and a Mm -hmm. green screen. And I guess even as a child, I realized that there's this potential in the machine if I can work out how to get it out. Because, you know, computers were cool and they played games. And, of course, the one I had didn't play any games, but I always believed I could make it play games if I knew what I was doing. And so I wrote little games like, you know, quiz programs and little adventure puzzles and and text adventures and things. And then, you know, I sort of graduated from that. And, you know, for the first maybe 20 years until I was in my my late teens, went to university, computers were disconnected. So it was just you sat there with a computer and the MS-DOS manual and whatever, you know, games you'd. Bought, or you'd found on magazine cover discs that month. Just kind of exploring the limits of the system and seeing what you could make it do. And then I did a, a, a summer job when I, I left Sixth Form College and spent, you know, three months just installing Windows and WordPerfect and stuff on on machines. And I loved it. And it wasn't terribly creative or or interesting work. But it was this process. And I was like, I can streamline this. I can make this better. And I started writing batch files and automating things. And, you know, just
0: kind of hooked, you know. (laughs) (laughs) What is the best career advice you've ever received?
1: Now, this is an interesting question. Because uh, about the same time that computers were creeping up on me, I wanted to be a musician. You know, I wanted to be a professional guitar player. And uh, I had a a teacher at sixth form. So I'd have been, you know, 16, 17 years old. And there's this guy, Rob Allen, who was a guitar player in a a couple of local bands around Bristol where I I went to school. And he took a couple of us aside one day and he said, don't do this for a living. And we're like, that's really weird advice. And he's like, he, he said something like the thing about music is that it doesn't, Solve any problems. It has no practical application. The only reason to do it is that you love it. And if you ever have a day where you don't feel like doing it, and you have to because you have to pay rent, you will hate it, and there will be no kind of mitigating factor. And you know, I sometimes think about that because in in tech, you get days when you got a really interesting problem, but you've got to solve it using some, you know horrible legacy system or some ropey programming framework. And it's like, if the tech isn't appealing to you that day, at least the problem solving appeals. And there's days where it's like, well, the problem's pretty mundane, but actually we're going to solve it using this interesting programming technique I've discovered. And so there's always this this offset, this mitigating factor, something to compensate for it. And, you know, I often do think that music doesn't have that because it is purely this abstract creative endeavor. And, you know, I, I sometimes wonder whether I, I sort of took Rob's advice to heart a little more than I gave myself credit for, because, you know, I, I think that that's interesting advice. If you really, really love something, you don't want to get to a point where you have to do it whether you want to or not, because, you know, it can and take a lot of the, the joy out of it, maybe. I was thinking the other day, uh, Douglas Adams, there's a, a, a throwaway line in, in one of his books where the protagonist says something like, uh, I was in a band at school and we were going to be like the Smiths of the early 90s, but we got much better legal and financial advice than they did, which was basically don't. And so we never bothered. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about that. I can't remember why, but that quote popped into my head the other day.
0: If you were to begin your IT career again right now, what would you do?
1: Do you mean starting now at the age that I am or if I was kind of 15 years old now and, and
0: working at Yeah so so if you were if you were coming out of university and you finished your degree what where would you go what would you what would you be your focus You see I think that's
1: a very difficult question to answer because I think I and a lot of my contemporaries we sort of have had the luxury of the complexity of software development has grown with us over the course of our careers. Uh, You know, when I was was 10 years old, I had a 286 PC, and basically I knew everything it could do, almost down to the level of assembly and machine language programming. Not quite, but it was achievable. You could, you know, with a couple of weeks of hard study probably have filled in the gaps. And nowadays, nobody even comes close to that other than on some very specialist, you know, embedded systems and things. I think i'd be like find a problem you care about and don't worry too much about the software you're using to solve it uh it's still incredibly liberating to realize that you can throw up a website you have something you miss some photographs you want to share or uh, you've written a, a a song or a you know an essay or an article or something you can just stick it online and anyone in the world can read it for free and you know it, it, when you kind of think about it like that you're like well maybe software is not a solution in and of itself why don't you think about some problems that could be solved with this. And then, you know, there's also very interesting specialisms now that never existed before, you know, stuff about uh, machine learning, data science, embedded systems, and little things like uh, Raspberry Pis, for example, you can get a computer for for five pounds that has high-definition video, and you can write games and do real-time audio programming on it. I do sympathize with people trying to get, uh, you know, make their way in a career in IT now because it is – you can do a 12-week boot camp and come out of it Capable of writing websites to a sufficiently high standard that, you know, if somebody has a good idea for a business, you are not going to be the weakest link. But then the problem we find is, you know, companies that are successful very rapidly often find that they, there's the companies that fail because they invested too much in making their website scalable. And then they ran out of money before they had any customers. And there's the companies who kind of went with a very lean kind of MVP ethos around shipping very, very small things. And... If they do well, they can rapidly grow beyond the capabilities of their platform. And you know, one of the, the beautiful ironies is it actually takes years and years, decades of experience to understand how to make something really basic and simple in a way that isn't going to be restrictive if it does see some sort of exponential growth. So, you know, the, the difference between a simple website written by someone straight out of boot camp and a simple website written by someone with, with 20 or 25 years experience is probably very subtle. I think it's really important that we try and maintain sight of that and be like, well, you know, if I've got a company, you need a website, build them a website, kid, go for it, you know, see what you can do. If you find that the website becomes the, the bottleneck, well done. You were part of a successful enterprise at that point, go and ask for some help.
0: What career objectives are you currently focusing on?
1: The things I'm working on are you know, establishing a, a roadmap and a growth strategy and uh, solving a, a bunch of long-term problems around helping Skills Matter scale up and evolve and deliver some of the things that we've been wanting to look at for a, a long while. In terms of my career objectives, I honestly don't know. Every conversation that I, I have with people, now things come out of it that are interesting or exciting, and I think I should go away and look at that. So actually, I'm going to opt out of this question by uh, answering it with something slightly tongue-in-cheek because last week I accidentally invented a programming language that has gone viral. There was this, this tweet from uh, Paul Stavell, who founded Octopus Deploy, where he said, someone should make a programming language called Rockstar, so that recruiters can't talk about Rockstar developers anymore.
0: I saw that. Um,
1: yes. Yeah. And, and and this kind of stuck with me. And so I, I sat down a Saturday night last weekend, and, and I'd had all these ideas kind of scribbled down. So I threw them together into what I thought was a coherent specification for this, and Put it up on github and it's just gone crazy it's you know we've had like 85 issues and suggestions <laughs> people make artwork uh, three and a half thousand stars on the github project people we had somebody within 24 hours somebody had implemented this language in scala and somebody else was working on a javascript transpiler and so it, it sort of really captured the imagination of a, a certain subset of the the online developer community yeah. um and I, I love it. I love the the attention and the interest that it's getting. I think a lot of people seem to be having fun with it. And so my career aspiration right now is to find enough time to actually turn Rockstar into a stable language with a runtime and a proper website where you can go and try it out for yourself. Um, and you know, print up some t-shirts and some stickers <laughs> and stuff to give out at conferences. Yeah. Um. So so yeah, that that's that's what I want to see out of the next kind of six months of my career would be to be able to to go to a couple of events I got coming up just before, you know, in, in October, November, with Rockstar as a kind of fully formed creation with its own swag and branding and just, you know, share that with people and, and make everyone laugh a little bit.
0: Okay, so what's the number one non-technical skill that's helped you in your career so far?
1: There's a couple of things that I think a lot of software developers could easily get a lot better at. One of them is writing, uh, you know, communication has become so, so important in terms of how we collaborate, how we identify requirements, how we kind of validate that the effort we're investing is is building the right thing. You know, a big chunk of that is about being able to write well. A big chunk of that is having the confidence to, to speak and being, you know, comfortable standing up and expressing and sharing ideas and not kind of going too precious about them. I consider those technical skills because I think they they complement very strongly the creative craft of software development. Yeah, non-technical skill, I, I have no idea. Make it good coffee, maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, Dylan, can you share a parting piece of career advice with the IT Career Energizer audience?
1: This is advice that might backfire. I think a lot of people would find it easier to get another job than they think they could. Now, I know that there are a, a huge number of people who are trying to break into IT and for all sorts of reasons are finding that difficult. So this advice is kind of, I think, aimed very squarely at the people who are, they feel like they're stuck. You know, they've got what they think is a good job and maybe they're worried that they can't get another one. And, you know, my my advice to those people would be, get out of the rut a little bit. Maybe all it takes is, you know, go to a couple of meetups, talk to some people, maybe go to one or two interviews. And actually, you'll realize that where you are is pretty good. And, you know, that sort of sense of perspective will have invigorated you a little bit. And maybe you'll discover, actually, it's not as bad out there as you think. And it can be maybe easier to find something which would rekindle some of that enthusiasm. Uh, Yeah, I mentioned at the beginning that when I... um, Was uh, I left my old job at Spotlight and joined Skills Matter. I had a six-month handover period. And one of the things that I I find very difficult about IT is the way recruitment is – there's this kind of standard model. Someone is at, at work, and they're bored of their job, and they want a different job. And so they start sneaking around, you know. They ask you if they can do a phone screen at six PM because they can't do it during the working day because their boss or their team doesn't know that they're they're looking for another job. And it's all kind of very clandestine. And also it, you know, as, as a hiring manager, it often puts you in this position where you got, you know, somebody in the room and you're interviewing them, and you know, they're good, but they're not maybe not you're not a hundred percent certain. And part of you is thinking, well, we have, you know, standard probation periods and everything. And the other part's thinking, if we take a punt on this person, and they leave a secure job and come and work for us. And it turns out that we've made a mistake in hiring them. You know, we're going to be like, "We're well, sorry, you quit your your good job and came and worked here, but actually, this isn't working out." You got till the end of the week, and you know the whole the whole model of recruitment being you have to jump from one job straight into the next because people have got you know bills to pay and mortgages to pay and stuff. I think it it puts an a, an enormous amount of unnecessary pressure on the entire process and the people all over it. And so, you know, I'd love to see a thing where it, it just becomes socially acceptable to go to your boss and go, you know what? I'm, I'm a little bit bored. I'd like to have a look around. I'm going to do four days a week for three months. And then you can put your CV out and you can go, you know what? Don't worry about the whole interview process. Let me come and work for you on Fridays. You know, just on a kind of day to day. You pay me, I'll come in, I'll get to another team. I'll do some stuff. And if after a couple of weeks, this is working out for me, and it's working out for you. Then let's make it a thing, and I'll come on full time. It won't be a shock to my old team because they already know that I'm looking. It won't be a shock to the new team because they've already had a chance to work with me for a, a period of time. And you know, as, a, as an employer, then you could be like, "Well, we've got budget for one new person. So what about if we had five different people doing one day a week and actually doing you know real problems? We'll pay them. You know, we're not asking anybody to do kind of free free projects and internship stuff here." You know, you could,
0: I think, just come up with a much
1: a healthier and a more natural way of making those career changes.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you're defining a new flexible workforce.
1: <laughs> well, the problem with any kind of flexible workforce is that we live in this world of rampant capitalism gone mad, yes. um, and it'll be about fifteen seconds between proposing this idea of flexibility and companies going brilliant we never need to pay benefits again we just our entire workforce will be people who are looking for a new job and we'll never hire any of them permanently yeah um you know not true of, of all companies but i can certainly a few names <laughs> spring to mind that might be looking to exploit that kind of opportunity but yeah you know, I. I I would love to see a sort of gentler and more collaborative model of hiring and career progression than this whole cross your fingers, close your eyes and jump and hope that the new job works out.
0: And finally, Dylan, what's the best way we can find out more about you and connect with you?
1: Uh, So I'm, I'm a very findable person. (laughs) Um, I have a a fairly unusual name, Dylan Beattie. And if you type that into Google, I think I'm nine of the top 10 hits, uh, www.dylanbt.net is my website where I, I post occasional blog posts and details of you know events that I'm speaking at Twitter is a sort of stream of consciousness combination of tech and humor and rock and roll and you know just just funny stuff that I, I feel like sharing and then you know all the all the usual places I tend to use my own name on, on everything I'm on so I'm on github.com slash DylanBt, youtube.com slash DylanBt. So yeah, I'm, I'm a very, very easy person to find. And if you want to get hold of me, drop me an email, dylan at dylanbt.net, ping me on Twitter, come along to Codenode and you know one of our community events and, and say hello. I'm often around here in the evenings. And yeah, let's chat. It's always, always nice talking to people and, and seeing what they're working
0: on. Dylan, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you.
1: Thank you, Phil. It's been a great pleasure.
0: My thanks go to Dylan for being my guest on today's show. You can find full show notes on the website at itcareerenergizer.com e70. In the next episode, I'll be talking with Jennifer Wadella, who is a JavaScript developer, international speaker, and founder of Kansas City Women in Technology. Thanks again for listening. And remember, if you're not growing your career, you're slowing your career. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.